program downstairs. That's JK to grade five. So you guys can follow the leaders out and make your way downstairs for your program. There is a, always a joy having the kids here and a chance for us to continue to disciple and teach them as well. Oh, what a joy to uh, even just teach them in communion and why we celebrate communion and why we do communion together as a family of God. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Psalm 90, so if you want to uh, turn there, I'll give you a chance to turn there. Uh, and as you're turning there, let me pray for us as we come together before God's Word. Heavenly Father, God, may we stand in awe of you and who you are. God, in your holiness, your majesty, your power, as we read from your word this morning. God, your word is truth, and may we see it rightly as that. God, grant us a hunger for your truth. Lord, guide us in wisdom and understanding that we would understand the meaning of this text and how it points us to Christ and our need for him. Lord, increase our love for you and for one another, so that we'd be the church that you've called us to be. Lord, help us apply this passage to our lives today, that we'd be challenged and that we'd be changed by your word through the working of your spirit in our hearts, that we'd be obedient followers of Christ, leading in his example. Lord, help me to humble myself as I preach from your word this morning, knowing that it's by your strength and your power. God, to preach with boldness and gentleness, that you will be centered, that you will be glorified as we continue to uh, just preach your word. And God, as you continue to save and sanctify your people. God, I pray that you're glorified this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as I said before, we're going to be in Psalm 90. We're going to be continuing just in our series of going through the Psalms this summer. Uh, Pastor Nate talked on Psalm 1, and, uh, and we jumped to Psalm 90, so you'll have to read the other 88 there, all right? But uh, we're going to be jumping to Psalm 90 today, uh, and I want to start just by, by talking a little bit. Have you ever just felt time pass you by? I know I'm kind of young, so it maybe feels weird for me to talk about, you know, getting older and stuff, but uh, recently, so I've turned 26, and the other crazy thing is that I've actually been here at the church as a pastor for about three years just this past May, which is crazy, because it still feels like, it still feels new. It still feels like a, a new journey that God has been bringing me on. But it's been three years, and now I'm 26, and actually when I turned 25, a lot of people are saying, wow, you're a quarter of the way to the end of your life. And I was like, thank you. Thank you very much. I do appreciate that. I laughed it off, of course, but it also, that truth did hit me. Uh, I'm 25. I mean, I'm not even guaranteed 100 years. I don't know, right? That is in God's hands, but I am getting older, and as I look back on my life, I realize how, how long I've already been living and how much has already happened and how much can happen just within a week or a year or 25 years, right? And uh, it's crazy to think of just how quickly time can pass us by. Significant moments can really make us stop and ponder on, on life's frailty and just how quickly it can go. We're not promised a thousand years. We're not promised a hundred years. We're not promised even tomorrow. It begs the question, what are we doing with our life, and what's the purpose of it, and what does God want us to do with our life, and how are we to live, or are we just wandering through life trying to figure this out? 
It begs us to ask the question, have I lived my life well? This psalm, Psalm 90, gives us a perspective into the frailty of life, how quickly time can go by. And a perspective of time that we actually don't often think about. It points us to an eternal God, which is a crazy concept for us to think about, right? Because we're just so used to things being finite, even ourselves. But we serve an eternal God, an everlasting God who does not end. He was before the beginning, and he will continue on forever. He is eternal. And God points us to see and focus on the eternal with the life that we have now to look to him, to rest in him. But so often, we can look to the finite world and seek after that. And when our life comes to an end, we realize just how useless it was. Just how little time we really had and how easily one can waste their life. And so my prayer for us as a church is that we would not waste our life here. God has given us time, a set amount of time, to honor and glorify him. And so as we look at Psalm 90, you'll see it is a prayer of Moses, uh, the man of God. Moses, the one who led Israel uh, out of Egypt by God's hand after the ten plagues. Moses, the one who led them across the Red Sea as God opened them up and then brought them back, crashing on the Egyptians. This prayer is said to be written in the time when Israel was wandering through the wilderness. They were to go to Canaan, and they did. They got to Canaan, and they sent spies to go and see what it was like and what the people were there. And when they came back and reported that they were bigger and they were big in number, the people feared them. The people feared that they would lose and that they would die and that they would not be able to take over Canaan. In Numbers 14, 1-2, it says, All the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Well, their wish was granted... God doesn't, God doesn't play around. <laughs> As God leads them wandering in the wilderness where the whole unbelieving generation died. And Moses was a witness of this. And Moses wrote this prayer out of this moment of wandering through the wilderness, of seeing God's wrath and judgment upon his people, of seeing an entire generation wiped out for their unfaithfulness to God. And so Moses reflects as we go through upon an eternal God just meditating on who God is and what he has seen God do. He's meditating on a frail humanity, seeing humanity for who they are as he sees a people completely wiped out. And a deep, repenting prayer that comes out of that as he reflects upon that. To show, for God to show the Israelites his wisdom and to establish the work of their hands, not just for this generation, but for generations to come. Moses knew that they needed God if they were to succeed in anything worthwhile in this life. So let us read together Psalm 90, this prayer of Moses. 
It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. So Moses begins by declaring the truth of who God is. First reflecting on how, how God has been a refuge from generation to generation. He's not just looking at the people right now and how he's been a refuge for them there, but even looking back to uh, Joseph when he was first in Egypt. How God was with him. How he's with Jacob and his family. Looking back to how he was with Abraham and Isaac. And even reflecting upon, as he looks back to Adam, how God was there. God has always been there. God has always been a refuge and a dwelling place for his people. He has not left them. A refuge that is immovable and strongly founded in all generations. God has always been there. He always will be. He is the one true everlasting God. And that is a joy and a truth that we can hold on to and reflect upon. Thank goodness that our God is eternal. He does not change. He does not fade. He does not go away. He's eternal and everlasting. And Moses reflects upon that and begins with that because that's where we need to start. We need to reflect upon who our God is if we are to truly see our life for what it is. Our eternal God. Even in this time of wandering, God has not left them. His wrath and judgment may be upon them, but he continues to care for them. He continues to lead them. He continues to guide them. And he continues to point them to the promises that he has already set forth. God has not left his people. And so Moses looks upon that and even looks back. And it's good for us to look back. Moses reflects on God as the creator 
How God was there even before the mountains were formed, even before the world was made. God was there. God knows his people. God created them. What better refuge, what better dwelling place to have than the eternal God, the creator of the world? And we can see that in other places. We even look back on Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God was there. Right? In, first John, or in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Revelations 22, 13, it reads, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We serve and we can have a relationship with the eternal God. It is a beautiful picture. It is a beautiful truth that we can hold on to as his people. And like Moses, it is good for us to look back and to see how God has been our refuge. Because although houses and mansions may crumble, worlds may crumble, cities may crumble, that we may lose our homes, that we may lose our church building, that we may lose the shelters and comforts we make in this world, our God, we will not lose. Our God remains. Our God stays. And that is a hope that we can hold on to. Amen. Even the promised land was not the greatest home for the Israelites. Right? That's what they were looking forward to. That's what they were striving towards, is this promised land that God promised for them. Right? It was a reflection of something greater to come. The kingdom of God, which we heard about in the children's video. Right? Seeking the kingdom. God wants to give us that kingdom. And this promised land was just pointing to that. The greatest home is with God, in eternity with Him. Our true home is heaven. But how do such as sinful and unfaithful people come to God to know Him as Father? It's through Christ. Right? This is all pointing towards the gospel of Christ who came as our advocate, Christ who came to call us out of our sin. Christ who came to guide us in our life as our high priest, of Christ who sacrificed himself for us when we deserve to die, of Christ who rose again and is now seated at the right hand of God, who we await to return to bring about his kingdom as we wait on God, as we trust in him, as we rest in him, knowing that the promised land will come, the kingdom of God will come. Our God is good, and he has been our refuge. And I pray that as a church that we can say that, right? We just celebrated our 80th year. We've been looking back on God's faithfulness, and it's just been amazing to hear the stories of what God has done in those 80 years, of how he has been with us through highs and lows, right? Through hardships. God has been there, and God has been our refuge, and we can hold on to that. And we can look back on that and reflect in those hard times that are to come. There's going to be more hard times as a church. We can look back on how God has been our refuge from generation to generation to generation. We can look back in his word of how he has been a refuge for his people all the way from the beginning till now. And on and on and on. For our God is eternal. Moving into verse 3 and verse 4, we see that God has everything in his hand. And by his word, our life will end. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, 
As Moses has spent years wandering in the wilderness with the Israelites, he has seen firsthand a whole generation pass away. By the word of God, this whole generation's life was set in motion. For lack of their faith and contempt for God, none of that generation would see the promised land. Moses saw how by God's command, lives were set on the road to death. And they knew that they would not see the promised land. We see God is the one who is in control of man's life. As hard as we try, as much as we think, you know, the the things that we can do to try and prolong our life, our life is really in God's hands and we're not in control. Right? Even that joke of me being a quarter of my way to the end of my life, I'm not even promised tomorrow. Right? We are dust and we see our frailty as we see how our life is in God's hands and how we return to dust when God says so. When the time comes, we will die. It might be morbid to think about, it might be hard to think about, but it's so important for us to reflect upon our life and how frail it actually is because that will help us as we move into living our life for God. Our time is not our own. Nothing we can do can change that. When God says our time on earth is done, it is done. So what's important is not the body, but the soul. Let us be aware of that when, of what our life is, is about, of what we're living our life for, and what it does to our soul. Right? Reflecting on this should lead us to fear God, who not only can destroy the body, but also the soul. Right? We see that in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Our life is in God's hands. I pray that we would fear our God, who can destroy both body and soul. And then moving into verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. God is out of our time, right? A thousand years... I was talking about 25 years, and that's a long time. That feels like a long time. Some of you have been living a lot longer than I have, right? I'm sure you can reflect upon the many things that you have done in your life with those years that God has blessed you with. But even that does not compare to a thousand years. But for God, a thousand years is just like yesterday. I have a hard time remembering what I ate yesterday, so... Even, yeah, even at my young age, my memory, it's already going. It's not good. <laughs> right? We can see our frailty. How easily we can, we can forget, right? We can forget God's truths even of, of what he has done for us in the day before, of how he sustained us and kept us, right? The grace he has poured out on us. And we can forget because we can run into something that's been difficult and be like, God, where are you? What are you doing? Right? We can so easily forget. God does not forget. A thousand years are like yesterday or a night watch, which is three or four hours, right? Three or four hours. A thousand years. Just pondering upon that truth. God is all-knowing and not bound by time. When he looks back on a thousand years, it's all in his mind. He can just understand. He can see it all. It's just a beautiful thing. Be not ignorant of this one thing, Second Peter says, Verses three and eight, uh, for, uh, chapter three, verse eight. 
That one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. As Moses reflects on God's eternal state, his power and his refuge, it opens our eyes to the reality of ourselves and really exposes our frailty of just how weak and, sorry to say, but useless we really are. Right? We're frail. We're dust. We're dirt. And so God's eternal state exposes our frailty and how in need we are of him. Right? And so as we move into verse 5 to 11, we see this contrast that Moses is making. Right? First, he's been reflecting upon God and who he is and this grand picture of our eternal God. And now moving into the frailty of man that we see. Moses says, You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Right? Life is fragile and short. The Egyptians were swept away in the Red Sea. They were gone. Right? The Israelites wandering for years and dying of the age and affliction from God as they continue to complain and not trust him. Right? Their life is gone. It's like a day. The truth of God ought to humble us. Because I don't know about you, but I've never really thought of myself as a piece of grass. Like, that's not a picture I like to think about, but God's word says so, right? We're like grass. And that grass only lived for a day, right? Renewed in the morning, withered in the evening. Our life is like that. Right? The Israelites feared the Canaanites more than they feared God. They trusted in themselves and their own strength and their own power, or maybe didn't trust in their own strength and own power, right? Because they didn't think they could even defeat the Canaanites. Right? They're more fearful of their own life here than they were of their eternal life and their eternal state with God. And they trusted themselves. They trusted their own wisdom more than they trusted God and his wisdom. And how often do we think like this, right? We plan out our weeks and our years and dreams and goals and the, you know, as if the next day is promised to us, right? We look at life circumstances and we think, ah, oh, this is what I need to do. These are my plans. This is, my, this is the way to go. You know, how tightly do we hold on with high expectation of the things that we desire and these things that we want? And then reach deep disappointment when those expectations aren't met, right? Then we blame God. We cry out to him, why? Right? Like the Israelites. Wouldn't it be better if we were in Egypt? Wouldn't it be better, you know, if we just went back? How often do we put so much attention and energy and time into the temporary and not the eternal, right? Time into our jobs and dreams of grand careers and financial comfort, you know, into making a name for ourselves and being approved by others. And chasing after the next best thing in entertainment or social media, right? Mindlessly watching and comparing our lives with people who seem to have it better. They seem to be so happy and successful in theirs, right? We chase after being comfortable and pleasured, getting what we want. Our life revolves around us and what we desire. Our treasure is often here on earth, and we waste our life chasing after these things. They can so easily be taken and destroyed, and where our treasure is, is where our heart will be also. Matthew 6, 20-21. says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Right? This life is temporary. This world is temporary. When we die, we don't take anything with us. Ecclesiastes 2, 10 to 11, which can be a very morbid, depressing book as you read through it, but it really does open our eyes to this thing of what Psalm 90 is pointing us to. But Ecclesiastes 2, 10 to 11 reads, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. It's a pretty sad and depressing life. Yet how many of us are striving for those things? Right? The Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt. They thought that was better because they're so focused on their life here, thinking it would prolong their life Right? And complain that God led them out here, that God was wrong, that God's wisdom was not right, that they were better at coming up with a plan than God. Yet their God was bigger. Their God knew. Their God's eternal. They treated God with contempt and asked for something other than Him and His promises. And so we see Israel rebellious in her ways was brought down by God's justice, right? God does judge. God does discipline his people, right? They're brought down by God's justice on them for their sins. A whole generation dying as they wandered, knowing that they would never see the promised land. God's wrath and judgment poured out on them for their contempt, for their unbelief and their mistrust of him. Yet he also continued to be with him, which is the amazing thing about God, right? He, he continued to care for them and walk with them and provide for them. But we see these people brought to an end by his anger, right? God has a righteous anger towards sin. He does deal with sin. But he deals with it rightly so because he is a holy, perfect God. We have sinned against him. He is just in his ways, and he is good in his ways. We can't forget that. Right? Death is our due punishment for our sins. The Israelites at this time have been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. Right? Moses has seen death. Right? And it's death by God's righteous wrath on his people. They were deserving of death for their sins. We are deserving of death for our sins. Right? But we see the Lord is merciful and gracious. Right? Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Right? These two, there is that tension there of God's wrath and justice and God's love. And so it points us once again to Christ. We see Christ in this. We see how a God who is holy and perfect And a humanity who is deserving of death, who is sinful, can be saved because of Christ. Can be saved because of God providing. Because of what God has done. Not because of what we have done. Because of Christ who came to earth and died for our sins. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For those who are resting in him with faith. 
Right? The Israelites in the wilderness remained under God's wrath, under his just wrath, his wisdom and sovereignty, right, for the years to an end. Because they didn't trust him. They didn't rely on him. They didn't rest in him. And those years that they were promised of, 70 or 80 years, it didn't matter. Because God is in control. God is sovereign. God is judge. And our life is in his hands. Right? The years of a life, 70, or by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and fly away. How quickly our life can go. So what are we doing with our life? Verse 11 points us to come and fear God. Right? Who really considers the power of God's anger? Who considers his wrath? Right? It's something that we don't like to think about, that God is wrathful in anger towards our sin, right? towards us when we sin. Right? He deals with sin. And it should lead us to fear him. Right? It should lead us to come to him in humility. It should lead us to come and rest upon what Christ has done. Right, if in Psalm 130, verses 3 to 4 reads, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Right, we should come in humility. We cannot stand before him saying, I'm right, I'm fine, I'm clean, I'm worthy. We should come to him in humility, on our knees. We cannot stand trembling before a holy God. But verse 4 says, With you there is forgiveness. Right, that you may be feared. Right? As we see the wrath of God and our frailty and his eternity, we are to respond in fear, right? Humbling, coming to him, knowing that he is good and gracious and has given us a way to life in Christ. Life is short and we are quickly passing through. Right? As Christians, our hearts are not to be set on the life here, but the life ahead. Eternal life with our God praising and glorifying him together with his people. Do we have that hope? Right? How can we even stand when faced with the reality of a creator God and our own sin? Right? It's Jesus. Do we have that hope in Christ? Not by our own works, but by his works and what he has done. I pray that if you aren't resting in Christ today, that you would greatly consider You'd really ponder about how frail your life is. Tomorrow is not promised. Your life is in God's hands, and he has given you a way to him, to the forgiveness of your sins through Christ. I pray you come to him. As we, as we sang, his arms are open, right, for you to come. And so as we see our life in light of eternity, it calls us to respond to God, like Moses did in prayer, right, in supplication and bringing these things to God, right, we reflected upon who God is, we see who we are and our sinfulness and our deep need for him, so then it calls us to come to him and pray, to come to him and request these things of him to help us in our need, right, because we see an eternal God exposes the frailty of man, Right? And so verses 12 to 17 is really the application out of this. What do we do with this, right? Because when I look at this, I'm like, uh, what do I do? 
Like, how do I, how do I, how do I respond? What, what can I do, God? And Moses shows us right here, verses 12, that's a beautiful, beautiful way that he phrases it. Teach us to number our days. Now, he's not saying count, count each day as you go, right? Because we don't know how long we have. Teach us to number our days. He's really calling us to look at how frail our life is, right? Look how short our life is. We don't have long. Help us to see the finite of our own life and the eternity of God. He's shown us how we are to come to God in prayer. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Right? See our short time here on earth in light of God's eternity that we would have wise hearts in how we live. Right? And how we live our lives for Him. Of what we spend our time on. That we would seek God and live for Him. That we'd be resting in Christ with our eyes on eternal things. Storing treasure in heaven and not on earth. Right? The beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10 says, is the fear of the Lord. Right? And we reflected that, that is what we need to do. We need to fear God as we reflect upon eternity and come to Him seeking wisdom. As we look at the frailty of our own lives. Right? The need for the Lord to provide grace. The need for the Lord to provide wisdom and to live each life to its fullest for the glory of our God. Moses cries out, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Right? How long, O Lord, is a phrase we see many times in God's word. Right? In, in the Psalms, we see it quite often. Psalm 4-2, Psalm 6-3. There's a great truth in Zechariah 1-3. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Return to me, declares the Lord, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Right? We need to come to the Lord, return to him, see our need for him, see that he has been our refuge. See that he has not gone off. It is us who have wandered from him. We have strayed from God. Let us return to him. Moses continues to pray in verse 14. It's a beautiful prayer. I pray that we would have this prayer as well as, a, as individuals, but also as a church. This is something I've been trying to do. Just As I wake up, to just have this kind of mindset of a prayer not always exactly these words, but this idea of satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Let us be glad in the Lord. Let us rejoice in the Lord. He has given us all that we need in Christ. He has provided for us. He has been our refuge. He's given up of himself for us when we had no way of escaping death. It's a beautiful prayer. Right? Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Right? The Israelites had gone through a lot. God had brought them through a lot. But he promised them rejoicing. He promised them himself. Our prayer is that we would rejoice in the Lord with gladness as we reflect upon who he is and what he has done. Right? Not with our own selfish hearts of you know, what we desire, what we think we need. God has given us all we need in Christ. 
And let us rejoice in that. The beautiful thing is that he continues to bless us beyond what we deserve, right? He's given us food and shelter. He's given us family and friends. He's given us passions and joys that we can enjoy in this world. But if those are taken away, God still remains good. God has still provided what we need in Christ. Right? Even those who are in Christ will still have tribulation, will still be afflicted and see evil in our world, but the joy that is in Christ will last forever. So let us reflect upon that. Let us rejoice. Let us pray together and pray for one another that when we wake each morning, we can say, I'm satisfied in the Lord, for he has provided all I need. I have great joy that cannot be taken, that cannot be removed. And ending in verse 16 and 17, as we continue to apply this to our lives, we see that Moses asks for their work to be established by God, for his power to be on the children to come, the next generation, and the next generation. Moses first, looking at God, being with the past generations as a refuge, is now in prayer for the generations to come. His work, his work is, is that that is done. Right? The work that's done is the Lord's. The need for him to be with his people working. Right? Or what's the point of the things that we do if it's not what God has established us to do? How can we think we can succeed in any way if it's not God who is with us, right? The Lord's work is done by his people and his glorious power is displayed in and through them, right? The prayer of Moses is that, is that reality being the same for the children to come, right? I pray that we would pray for the next generation as well. For those who are to come, that the Lord would establish his work of their hands, to display his glorious power through them and that we would be disciples who are making disciples in the next generation, pointing them to who God is, to trust and rest in God. To believe and repent in faith that Jesus is Lord and Savior and to rejoice in the Lord and worship and glorify him together. It is God who works. It is God who moves. It is God who is wise. It is God who gives us the strength to do what we need. And so ending in verse 17, it says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Church, there's still much work for us to do. But there's no point of doing it if we don't have God with us. So let us humble ourselves as we reflect upon the eternity of who God is and the frailty of our own lives. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. See, God's eternity exposes our frailty but we have a a joy that we can be with this eternal God because of what Christ has done, right? Time is short. You know, years we count on could quickly be taken away. We're but a piece of grass that withers in days' time. 
Let us focus on the eternal. Let us store up our treasures in heaven. Let us pray that God would establish the work of our hands. For if we are going by our own strength, we will not succeed and our work will be in vain. Right? Those who are, those who are young, number your days. Right? You aren't invincible. As much as you may feel like you are, as much as you might feel like you have a lot of time left in this world, Count the cost and seek Christ, right? Repent and live for him now, right? Dig deep into God's word. Grow richly in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Seek to be discipled by those who are older, by those who have walked ahead in this life before you. Worship and long for Christ, right? Be a part of a church. Get involved. Serve. Live your life with eternity in mind and store up treasures in heaven, right? Don't just wander for 40 years seeking after frail and temporary things. For those who are older, I'm sure the reality of your short lives have hit now. I'm sure you have seen God working and blessing you in many ways through your life. I'm sure you've seen that you don't have all the time in the world either. Don't waste these last crucial years. Don't slowly just slip away. There's still work to be done. God can still use you because he is God. Right? Repent and seek forgiveness right? for thoughts of maybe not being able to be used by thinking that you're already at your end. Right? God can still use you. Pour the wisdom and love of God that you have gained from faithful years, digging into his word, into those here in this church who are younger, who are seeking someone to disciple them. Right? Continue to run that race and finish well. John Piper, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, says, The opposite of wasting your life is to live by a single, soul-satisfying passion for the supremacy of God in all things. In 2 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 4, 7-8 says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so I ask, how will you spend your life, the remaining time that you might have? Right? Repent if you not spend it well for the Lord, and seek forgiveness in Christ. Turn from your sinful ways and live to glorify God, rejoicing and living in him. Let us be a church that prays this daily because we need God. We do. We need God or else all the things that we do will be in vain and our life will end. We need to desperately respond to this in prayer that God would display his power and establish our work as we live in his wisdom and steadfast love. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are eternal. And God, that you put in perspective just how frail our life is. God, you put into perspective just how much we need you, how the things that we do in this life are in vain, if not established by the work of your hands. God, let us repent as a church for those times that we think that we can do this on our own. God, for those times that we have relied on our own strength, on our own wisdom. God, forgive us for those times that we have been unfaithful and we have not trusted you. God, for those times that we think that we can't be used by you. God, that we can't succeed. 
Right? The Israelites did not have faith. They did not trust, and it cost them. It cost them their life. And they continued to complain and whine and look at you with contempt. God, let that be an example and a warning to us. God, let us be a church that is a prayerful church, a church that is resting upon you, God, a church that is humbled and amazed by how this eternal God would save us through his Son, who died on the cross for our sins, who rose again and offers us life and forgiveness in him for all who believe. God, I pray you work a mighty work in our hearts. God, help us to not be idle. Help us to not waste our life. God, help us to trust in you and to live for you as disciples of Christ. God, to be the church you call us to be. God, to disciple one another, to pour your word, your truth, your love into one another, that we would be bold in proclaiming the good news of Christ. God, God, there are those who are still lost. There are those who desperately need to hear of you and what Christ has done. God, they're still wasting their life, chasing after emptiness, right? chasing after the wind. So God, I pray that you would establish our work as a church here at Nowood. God, be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.